Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. It's 10am on a Sunday morning. Thanks for joining me. This is Soho Service. We've got music coming up from Laura Marling. We're going to start off with Parsaloo. This is Energy. Energy, I love it. It's just glorious and sunny in the deepest, darkest midwinter that we're in at the moment. Welcome to Soho Service. We're going to be looking at the relationship between art and faith and religion in London. This week, we're very lucky to be joined by Sheikh Yunus Dudwala from Bart Health NHS Trust, talking to him about the past few months working in hospitals. But first, this is Governor B and Battle on Soho Radio. Yeah. We're going to be speaking to, as I said, Sheikh Yunus Dudwala from the chaplaincy at Bart's Health NHS Trust. One thing that he mentions in the interview that we have, he talks a lot about this idea of breathing and just feeling grateful for the ability to breathe fresh air every day um, at a time when a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, haven't been able to do that. I think the idea of gratitude is something that at the moment, and I've spoken about this before, I think I mentioned it also in the first programme, which is almost a year ago now. Gratitude is something that we can really think about and focus on at this time of year when a lot of people, unfortunately, are going through a lot of different difficult times. Um, We can take a second, I think, at least I've been taking a second to sort of reflect on what I do have Um, and all the blessings that I have and uh, working with those. So I thought I'd play Laura Marling again because I'm a little bit obsessed um, with Breathe following that same theme. And then we'll hear from Sheikh Yunus Dudwala after this. Over the past few months, we've had various people on the programme telling stories of the amazing work of religious groups during the pandemic, from helping the homeless to feeding and providing moral support also. Um, the religious communities really have come into their own during this period. Sheikh Yunus Dudwala is head of chaplaincy at Bart's Hospital Trust in London, um, supporting those in hospital, both religious and also people of no faith. Um, and we're so happy to have him on the programme today. Thank you, Sheikh, for joining us. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. 
So I guess uh, the the first question I'd, I'd like to ask is, how have the past few months been for you? How how are you doing right now? How are things? Um, so we are in the second wave, and I think we're, mm. uh, we thought we would have passed the peak, but it still seems like it's the peak. Yeah. Uh, hospitals, the hospitals that I work in are really, really busy. They're full. Um, there's call out for staff every single day to see if we can find more staff. Um, some staff who are off, can they come and help? Um, because there's not enough staff to look after the number of patients that we have because we can't say no to patients. Yeah. So it's really, really busy. Um, and I think I've never seen um, an intensive care unit uh, so full in yeah. any of our hospitals than we have currently in all of our hospitals. Yeah, and so you've you've been doing this job in chaplaincy for a while, and this is you've got the long view, so to speak, of, of of what this is like. How did you get into it, and then how how what changes have you seen over the past few months and years and so on? Yeah, so I I've been in chaplaincy for over twenty years, and you know I think um, there's been lots of changes in the NHS every year. There's changes, you know, when there's government changes, there's changes, um, and I started off in a small general hospital, which is Newham Hospital. And that became part of a merger for Bart's Health NHS Trust, where mm. Royal London Hospital, St. Bart's Hospital, Whips Cross Hospital, and Newham Hospital all became one. Yeah. So we've been a bigger hospital for the nearly last 10 years now. Mm. Um, and in the winter, I think everyone knows that in the winter we get busy. Um, but this is different. It's not about winter. This is this virus is totally different. It it um it catches people um, in the lungs in such a way that even the medics, having seen so many COVID patients over the past year, are still baffled. Yesterday night, when I was called in about 10 o'clock in the evening, one of the doctors, he was telling me that this new variant is so different that, you know, it's still baffling us in terms of it can make someone collapse in, in uh, suddenly. Yeah. And, and we've lost the individual. So... Um, I think the number of patients that are, use, are in need of oxygen and the number of patients that are in need of intensive care is uh, way beyond anyone's imagination or worst nightmare. Yeah. How has that been for you then? I mean, you, you're, you're head of chaplaincy, you're leading this, this group over the past. The, the challenge, I can't imagine what that must have been like. It's hard. I mean, I, I was also um, part of the Nightingale Hospital when it was mm. started in April, in March, April. Um, and, you know, it's trying to get a team together, trying to keep them motivated and trying to uh, get, get to the challenge of seeing so many patients because I think chaplaincy is a very, very small department in a hospital. Um, the budget is very small in comparison to nurses, doctors and all the rest of the hospital. And usually it's a small cog in the wheel of a hospital that's normally running fine. Mm. Suddenly, with this pandemic, we are in the eye of the storm and um, people want chaplaincy more than ever. And yeah. We don't have the numbers to deal with so many people. So we, we try our best. Mm. Uh, we are trying to be there for everyone as much as we can, but we can't get to everyone. So it's a very stretched uh, um field within within our um chaplaincy that we we are trying our best but we can't guarantee that we will be able to see everybody and it must be so hard because i was just thinking this as you were speaking that with 
doctors in within a hospital, within the medical profession, you can triage patients or more serious, less serious. When it comes to chaplaincy, there's no sense of like, there's a more serious or a less serious. If people need your help, they need your help. So it's very hard to make those decisions. Yeah, I think, I think you're right there. I mean, obviously, um, a lot of the times we get called when people are at the end of life. Mm. Um, and that, that is our priority. So yeah. that we want to be there for, especially if it's a Roman Catholic, they want to have their last rites. If it's a Muslim, if it's a mm. Jewish patient, we'll try and be there as much as possible. But you're right in the sense that sometimes people just want, and, and, and the other point that we have to take into consideration here is that the families are not around. Yeah, the family is not allowed to come. So sometimes it's just the family's contacting chaplaincy just to find out how their loved one is. What just to have a video call with the family. So we can't triage this patient over that patient in terms of priorities. We have to try and get to as many patients as we can where we are requested to. And, and there's a sense in which I guess that it isn't just that there are more people who need your help, but almost your roles changed in that respect as well, because you are now almost reporting on their behalf and you're you're there as a fa almost a family member to some extent for these patients. Yeah, so, you know, we're the link for the family and mm. uh, because we, a majority of the chaplaincy teams live in the community that they work in. Mm. Um, sometimes the community know us and they just contact us directly and say, please go and see my father. Can you tell yeah. us how he is? And, you know, we're not there as doctors or we're not there as nurses to give an update on the medical condition of that <laughs> or patient. We will just pass on that information to the medical yeah. staff. But even just having a sight of their loved one. And, you know, we, ha we have a large population that where English is not their first language. Of course. And sometimes um, they don't know how to use a, a smartphone. And the family has been, the patient has been in for five days, six days and the family has not seen them. So just one video call makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. It does. And that was something that, that I, I listened to. You did a um, interview for the uh, Empathy Museum um, recently, which is really interesting for a project they were doing. Um, and at one point you, you spoke about the, your respirator that you that you wear to sort of, uh, sort of uh, or the, the mask that you have to sort of, which has a glass screen so that people can see your face. And you were saying how important it was that people could, could see who you were and connect with your with your face. That idea of connection seems just more crucial at the moment. It, it does. And what it is, is that majority of the staff are wearing the FFP3 mask. So mm. people cannot see the expression on the face. They can't see the smile um, and they can't see the person speaking. And because I have a beard, the FFP3 mask does not fit me. And uh, therefore, I cannot wear the FFP3 mask. So I have to wear the hood and the hood has a glass screen. And therefore, I didn't realize that how much of an advantage that is until I heard from staff and patients that they love seeing my smile. Yeah. So it's something which brings hope to them at the time when all around them, all they can hear is machines and all they can see is sighing uh, patients next to them. Mm. And it, it, it creates that personal connection, which is, so this, as you said, they can't have their families there. And so to have you there and to see a familiar face or someone, even just a face at this point, is, is really a, is an incredible thing. It's very yeah. difficult. Tell, would you be able to tell me a bit more then about your work at the Nightingale Hospital as well? Because that's obviously something that's been in the news a huge amount at the moment. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it, it's a completely different to everything I'm sure you've had to deal with um, in, in, your, in your career working uh, in chaplaincy. You know, you know, those who've been to Excel previously, they know that it's a huge 
convention center you know it's it's got massive holes on the right hand side on the left hand side mm. and suddenly within nine days that became an itu hospital intensive yeah. care hospital and it was uh, the army was there the medical teams were there everyone working together to try and facilitate this uh, unit to become a functional intensive care unit and i remember about 10 days 12 days into uh, treating patients a team from uh, i think it was uclh um, a university college uh, hospital they came to have a look and then mm. they presented and it, at the end of the day when we used to meet at four o'clock in the evening um, they gave a presentation and they said look you know we we didn't know what we were going to what we're going to see when we first came here because we'd heard about this place becoming an itu unit but we didn't think it would be a proper itu unit mm. but i've got to say that it was more than that what they expected yeah. so this shell had become a proper itu hospital and it became the biggest itu center in the country at the time yeah so and for us as chaplaincy for us to be there it was a privilege it was an honor to be there with the patients to be there with the uh, staff and uh, to try and make sure that we would be uh, helping the NHS so that they would not become overburdened, especially in London at that time. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's very difficult and it's, things are constantly changing. I guess you having to react to those changes also is quite a difficult thing. Um, but it, it's quite challenging. One question I had, I guess it's, it's a bit more, and I, I don't, don't mean, mean to embarrass you, but obviously a lot of the work you're doing is incredibly selfless at the moment, especially, you know, you really are putting yourself at the front line. And I mean, do, do you worry for your own health when you're, when you're going on the wards and stuff? Is that something that, that is in your mind at all? Or is, is, I guess, at this point, you've just, you know, how is that yeah, for you? I mean, it is a concern, but, you know, we, we've got to put that into context. The nurses are there every day. The doctors are there every day. Mm. The, the other staff are working on the wards every day. And, you know, we've been trained to wear the PPE correctly. You know, yeah. we've got to take precautions. And as long as we take precautions, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a work, it's a, it's a vocation, it's a job, it's something which is going to benefit those who are going to receive that care. So I think, um, yes, it's at, at the back of our minds, but mm. I think we, we do take the precautions that we're supposed to take and we're, you know, we rely on God as well and we rely on the processes that we have in place and the precautions that we take to protect us. para toda la gente ha sido motivo de burla porque todo el mundo piensa que es una cosa imposible que es cuestión de locos el problema es que todo es increíble y la gente no lo acepta um speaking more than as is your role um just just as an as an imam and also just also it, as as a religious leader and, and as a Muslim yourself, um, how how has it been? I mean, the past few months as well for a lot of religious festivals have had to change, and that's something I've been asking a lot of my guests previously. How was that for you, having to, you know, how has your faith yeah. had to change and adapt over the past few months? How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's been tough. I think it's been mm. tough for all faith communities. Um, 
uh, during the first lockdown when all the um, uh, places of worship were closed. I think that was very, very difficult. Um, the deaths have been difficult to sort out. The uh, funerals has been difficult, yeah. uh, all the rituals that go with it. And then we had Ramadan uh, during lockdown. And, you know, that, that was um, difficult for many, many uh, Muslims in this country. I usually do lots of talks during Ramadan, um, mm. just before we break the fast. Um, there's always lectures in every single mosque. And I deliver one of the lectures every single evening. Mm. And I thought, what's going to happen this year? Because I was booked in to go to this mosque for five days and another mosque for five days and all the mosques were closed. But fortunately, we, we, uh, you know, we adapted in a way where I could broadcast my lectures every day from home, from my bed, um, sitting on the bed and uh, delivering a lecture every day to the different communities that were listening in. So we had to adapt, uh, obviously. And it's affected um, the mosques, uh, especially in terms yes. of their uh, income as well, in because they're yeah. charities they rely on people coming in and they're not coming in. And it affects our spirituality because uh, our connection with our places of worship, whether you're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, um, is um, intrinsic part of our particular faith. And to not have that connection, to not be able to go, it was a relief on July the 4th when the mosques opened up and places of worship opened up for individual worship. And then they were opened up for uh, communal worship. And it was a huge relief. Um, and again, you know, there's some mosques who have closed down again yes. uh, because of the current wave. Um, it's not a government uh, edict to shut it down, but uh, because of the numbers of infections in particular areas some mosques have shut down so again it's difficult again but you know we have to try and keep our faith uh, strong through other means uh, whether it's the mosques or whether it's your prayers or whether it's the quran or whether it's just you know for me death is a reminder death yeah. in itself is a reminder and that is part of my spirituality that mm. you know it, it it reminds me of my uh, mortality and it reminds me of my uh, temporary uh, the temporary nature of this world mm. and you know, people who are dying around us they're not 80 or 90 some who are dying are 50 Today, mm. last night a person died he was 50 years old um, another person died he was 60 she, uh, she was 63 years old um, so you know it's death doesn't discriminate in terms of age no. When that time comes, um, it comes. And I think that for me is part of my spirituality. Yeah. And I, I don't, without quoting you back to you, I, I did listen to your New Year message as well um, that you gave quite recently. And, and you spoke about the idea of um, being grateful for just having breath every day. And that's something that you've sort of realized and reflected on more recently. I was really interested by that. I think, you see, I um, uh, when I reflect on 2020, there were two uh, big uh, news stories that dominated 2020. One was the COVID-19 virus mm. and one was George Floyd. And both are intrinsically connected in a in a very strange way that um, George Floyd, he uh, had his uh, breath and his breathing stopped by somebody's knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, so he said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he was, that, those were uh, his last words. Mm. And similarly, the people who are dying from COVID-19 are also saying, I can't breathe. 
I can't breathe, but we can't hear them saying this because mm. their breath is so, so short and they're not able to say it. And for me, it was a reflection of uh, how grateful each and every one of us should be in terms of uh, we are breathing approximately 20,000 breaths a day without even knowing it. Our mm. lungs are functioning uh, without us knowing it, whether we're sleeping, whether we're awake, whether we're walking or whether we're sitting. Our lungs are functioning and working in such a way that we're taking 20,000 breaths a day. And for us uh, as, as Muslims or people who believe in a God, that is something to be grateful for, especially when people are struggling. There are approximately 200 patients currently in intensive care unit at Bart's Health NHS Trust. Wow. Those who are in intensive care unit, they are struggling to breathe. They are being given oxygen and we are breathing without any support and that is something to be grateful for i totally agree um i think it, it reminds me as well so I, i'm jewish and it reminds me that there's a prayer we say every morning sort of thank you for god for give, putting breath back into us and everything like that so it's a similar it's a similar idea and often you'll just read over it without considering it and i think it brings an entirely new meaning to the entire um it's very, prayer. very similar prayer that we do when we wake up um all all uh, uh praises to god who has woken us up after death wow. More with Sheikh Dudwala in a moment. I wanted to play this. Um, I found it the other day. This is Moder by Shai Ben Sur. He's incorporating Hebrew, Sufi, and Indian devotional music all together. Um, and this song specifically looks at the prayer we just discussed, the prayer thanking God for waking us up in the morning. It's really, really great. religion and, and race and the coronavirus there, there certainly has been a disparate um a disparate um effect on minority communities um in this pandemic and the idea that um it's you know it, it's an equalizer is, is it's been a real fallacy um that's been disproven so much unfortunately um over the past few months um a lot of it also comes down to a lack of a lack of education or at least just a lack of uh, Bringing, putting that message out there amongst the, the minority communities um, and who often uh, are having to still go about their day jobs and whatever else um, in the midst of this pandemic as well. How has it been for you as a religious leader trying to, you know, you, you're seeing what's happening in the hospitals every day and then having to convey that message to your community and to sort of to, to stress the importance of staying at home. And you said before about also like closing the mosques, stuff like that it must be very difficult to, to, to yeah. find that line. It, it is a very um, difficult line, and it's a it's it's not easy because um, some people are adamant on keeping the mosques open. Some people are adamant on closing them for uh, health reasons, and also you know we I can see as you've mentioned the majority of people that I see dying are from the BAME community, mm. the black minority ethnic and the jewish community has been hit hard as well yeah and we don't know truly what those reasons are why they are affected more than others but we do know that this virus definitely exists mm. it does kill and we need to take precautions yeah. but 
even then, you know, I come across many, many people who are still in denial of this virus. They are in denial of precautions. They are in denial of taking these vaccines. Mm. Um, and they're saying, well, all this is, you know, it, it, the 97 uh, percent uh, people who are not affected and therefore we don't need to do anything. Mm. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, I see it, you know, when I see the hospital full, when I see doctors having meetings for one hour trying to work out how they're going to allow more patients in the hospital, how they're going to configure one ward and another ward so that other patients can get treatment. And they, they're scratching their heads, they're, they're having sleepless nights. When I see nurses crying in the corridor because they've been in the ward with their FFP3 mask on for two hours, and then I hear things in the community, it upsets me. Yeah. It really does upset me. And I think, you know, the communities, all communities need to take this virus seriously. They need to understand it's real, it's killing people. And yes, although it doesn't affect majority of people, if we don't take those precautions, it will affect more, more, more and more people and we'll see more and more people dying. Even with these precautions, we're seeing huge number, you know, a thousand a day dying at the moment. Mm. I mean, what will happen if, for example, we don't take this virus seriously, we just let everybody uh, walk around without social distancing, and then what's going to happen? Only God knows. Yeah. How, how do you think you you can counter that message. I know when I, I saw um, your fantastic video with you having the vaccine, which also I just thought took a lot of guts because you were literally, for those of you who haven't, who wouldn't have seen it, who are listening now, um, you're, you're literally standing there whilst they're putting the needle in you and you're, you're talking and saying how important it is to be vaccinated. And, and that work is amazing on social media, promoting and, and discussing the, you know, the, the, there's no pork in the vaccine, all this sort of stuff to try and counter that fake news. And there, I saw also there was a story in the BBC News Today, um, which is the Friday before the show's going out, but saying that there's this big concern to correct fake news amongst South Asians, but actually a lot of minority communities, it doesn't, it doesn't just affect South Asians. How do you think you can try and counter that? How, how have you been doing it? Exactly what you've just mentioned. It's like mm. through videos, through webinars. Um, I've been speaking to consultant virologists here at Bart's mm. Health. Um, we've recorded some interviews which will go out on, uh, on our social media platform mm -hmm. in the next week or so. Um, and I think it's just trying to get the correct uh, expert messages out. So there's so many messages out there on WhatsApp, on YouTube, which are not from experts. Yes. Or they're from uh, people who have become experts in the past year, rather than those who have had 30 years of experience, rather than those who have been doing this work for 25 years, and people who we know, who we trust, and who are still dealing with this virus on the ground. And Instead, people are turning towards YouTubers and WhatsApp videos from people who they've never met, they don't know, they don't know their credentials. Yes, they might be doctors, some of them, and some of them might uh, put some letters uh, at the end of their names, but you've got to put your trust in people who are on the ground and who are working in this field for many, many years. Mm. I mean, we do that in every single field, whether it's, you know, when somebody has a kidney problem, they go to a kidney specialist. Whenever they have a heart problem, they go to heart specialist. Whenever they have a brain problem, they go to a neurologist. Whenever they have joints problem, they go to an orthopedic. And suddenly when this virus has come, they've put all those principles out of, thrown it out of the window. Mm. And now they're going to YouTube and they're going to WhatsApp. Mm. And I don't understand that it's, it's yeah. become a, a uh, pandemic in itself in yeah. terms of the information pandemic 
yeah fake uh, news and, pandemic as well yeah and, and so, uh, so i guess you know for, for you personally as a community leader it's it's getting that other message out and just countering it with you know you've got to fight effectively fight fire with fire you've got to sort of absolutely. push the other way as well and just try and yeah yeah and, and you know, it's, it's something that i'm doing nearly every day on whatsapp on uh, other social media pl platforms i get messages which are always fake messages and then i have to counter them yeah. and that in itself is a uh, job yeah <laughs> it, it, job it must itself. be so frustrating as well i mean on, on both it parts is so First, frustrating. Yeah. it is so frustrating yeah. Yeah. i try to keep my calm um and just give information factual information from uh correct sources from uh expert sources uh and just say look you know this is what the experts are saying and you really need to think about what you're what you're forwarding on to other people mm. uh without verification yeah and because because again as you said like it's all very well having the vaccine and, and having all these rules in place but getting the information out there making sure people can do it and, and that you know as you said that that really is a job in itself to be honest there's there's a lot of it is a job in itself honestly it's a, yeah it takes a lot of time um just trying to combat some of the fake messages that are out there i understand there can be some you know uh vaccine hesitancy mm. and that's understandable because of how quickly the vaccine has been uh, manufactured and produced and uh, found etc but we have to understand how vaccines are normally produced how long it takes for an application how, how the funding happens how long it takes for the funding all that has been skipped in this vaccine so that they could find the vaccine as soon as possible so the application was very quick the funding was very quick all of that which normally takes five six years has just been thrown out of the window because the governments have backed finding a vaccine because it's affected the whole world and mm. everyone is working together so we have to understand why the vaccine has come so quickly um and 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 then speak to the experts for me yeah. you, you have to speak to the experts because that's what you do in, in everything else but don't you know don't change your principles now don't is, change is this principles. something that you've seen happen you know is this is this something that's just come up more recently or has it because i said you've you're working in in in, in med you know the the medicine and religion that sort of intertwining between the two for 20 years has this always been something that you've been working towards or is it something really that is quite new that, that's sort of come in the past few years i think um you, you know we've had debates so organ donation there's been differences of opinion within uh, scholarship mm. and that that's fine okay um and that can be uh healthy debate and it, it you know it's a genuine difference of opinion mm. but when it comes to this virus and the vaccine um i think it's new uh, the, the, uh, i think you know we've, we've got to look at how social media has developed over the past few years mm. fake news has become something of a phenomenon over the past few years mm -hmm. and um people not uh, going towards uh, scholarship or um experts and trying to just take news from everywhere mm -hmm. i think that has become a new phenomenon over the past few years and with the virus it's become you know it, it's become the hit thing yeah. for that news to uh, thrive yes. uh, uh, here in, in in this particular pandemic mm -hmm. So, and, and I think we can all say, certainly um, myself, I think the work you're doing is really to, to counter that is so important. Um, and, and you can follow um, uh, Sheikh Dudwala on, on Facebook to sort of see that the messages he's putting out and the, and the, the good work he's doing. Um, everyone also at St. Bart's NHS Trust um, to sort of counter those sort of messages. Um, lo looking to the future then, and I, I want to sort of end on a maybe a bit more of a positive note. Do you, have you seen, I mean, 
within your religious communities as well that the huge acts of, of kindness that's one thing that i've i've experienced and an and outpouring and communities still staying together and in, in response to this pandemic um and do you see the do you, you know do you see the mosques full again in the next few months is this something that you you know you, you see happening hope, hoping to happen um please yeah, god over the next few months absolutely i mean you know it, there is hope i you know and this is why i encourage people to take the vaccine because i can't see any other way out of this pandemic and i think hopefully if the more that we uh, if hopefully if this vaccine works mm -hmm. and you know different types of vaccines being you know manufactured there's the moderna one there's a uh, oxford astrazeneca one mm -hmm. there's a pfizer one and there's other companies who are still in the pipeline who are mm -hmm. going to come on board and we just hope that this becomes a means of protection for everyone mm -hmm. and we can come back to some kind of normality um, people can start meeting each other, uh, people can start going to the mosque, people don't have to social distance, you know, yeah. that's the vision that we have, hopefully. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, the hospitals become normalized in terms of treating the everyday illnesses that we used yeah. to have rather than just only treating COVID-19. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know when that will be, when yeah. two months, six months down the line. I'm hoping hopefully six months down the line we are back to some form of normality yeah and and, and as you said it, it you know that that those six months we can make a difference now but you know yeah. you know that that happens by, by us doing our job now um and, yeah. and making sure we work towards the future thank you so much um Sheikh Dadola, for coming on the on the program it's really great to have you and to speak to you um and, and all, all the best thank you very much thank you Sheikh spoke also about the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is something that we've seen over the past year, have a real difference and make a real effect. I thought it was a great opportunity to replay Kedron Bryant's I Just Want to Live. I'm a young black man Doing all that I Kedron Bryant, I Just Want to Live with Will I Am on Soho Service. Thanks so much for joining me this week. And thank you to Sheikh Dadwala for coming on the show. We're back in a month's time, but in the meantime, as is now a tradition, ending off with a bit of dance music to get us in the mood. You can follow me on Instagram at soho.service. Let me know if you enjoyed the show. See you soon. House Gospel Choir.